The Christian journey is like a mountain climb with Jesus as our mountain guide leading the way. It can be difficult. We are called to follow Jesus and live in accordance with His ways, but His ways may be counter to our natural instincts or cultural norms. The only way to reach the summit is to stay connected to Jesus. Prayer is our primary way of staying connected to Him, but sometimes we may not know how to pray or even what to say. Just as a novice climber may ask a seasoned guide for help navigating the mountain, Jesus' disciples, who were more familiar with prayer than we are, asked Him to teach them how to pray. What we call the Lord's Prayer is Jesus' response, offering us a pattern to follow in our own prayers. But the prayer itself is also powerful and can help us on our journey. Over the last two weeks, we have begun our journey by taking a closer look at who we are praying to and where God resides. Last week, we learned that we pray to God in heaven. Heaven is not a far-off reality, but is God's present reality that is just beyond our perception. The scriptures elevate our awareness of God's space and also teach us that heaven and earth will be fully reunited when Jesus returns. Today, we continue our ascent. We invite you to join us in praying the Lord's Prayer, both as a congregation and on your own. Whether you are a seasoned climber or new to the journey, we encourage you to turn to Jesus and say, Lord, guide us on this climb and teach us to pray. We'll dig in. There's a uh, teaching handout in the worship guide that you were given. If you don't have one and you would like one, would you raise your hand? Those are coming to you. Keep your hand up and those are coming to you. Um, In a few moments, we'll give you an opportunity to join the conversation by texting in some thoughts based upon some prompts. Um, We uh, really enjoy you being able to do that. That phone number is on the screen. It'll come back up in a few moments as well. And it's also on the handout that you are now uh, receiving. Yeah, okay, how are we doing? People get their hand out? Let's stand together. We're gonna read the scriptures. I'll read the words in white. You read the words in yellow. Isaiah 6, one through eight. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said... It's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and uh, with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips 
with it and said, see this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people who, were, who will go for us? I said, here am I, send me. The word of the Lord. You can be seated. This week in preparing for this message, I've been very humbled to approach this phrase, hallowed be your name. As Danya said, another way we could say that holy is your name. I come as a fellow journeyer up this great mountain, and I too look at the enormity of God and feel simultaneous dread and amazement, like Isaiah perhaps did. But I accept my role to teach you <laughs> the body of Christ. And today I believe that God, God calls uh, some and sets them apart to encourage, to empower the saints of God, you. And in Ephesians 4, Paul says that the teaching gift is one that equips Christians for their ministry. Equips you. I want to read these verses. Paul writes, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue, this equipping, until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. <laughs> then Paul says, then, after we've been equipped, then we will no longer be immature, like children. We won't be tossed and blown by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. This word equip here is the Greek word katartismos. And it is a word that was used to describe repairing. Um, mending. So as we endeavor to climb this mountain and to learn to pray and to understand the power of these words that we are praying, teaching you what they mean helps to mend your ropes so we can safely ascend. If anybody's ever done any kind of climbing or mountaineering, when somebody is climbing up, you better be sure that those ropes can hold. Some of our ropes need to be mended so that they can hold today. And I believe that's what God intends to do as we investigate this small phrase, holy is your name. We want to be lifted up to what the spirit is doing. We don't want to miss what God is doing because we do not have him accurately represented in our minds. We'll dig in more. So we're learning about this Lord's Prayer um, by going deeper into each phrase of the prayer, as it said in the video, the last couple of weeks and this week, we're really starting with who God is. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And these three messages are really helping us to get a bigger comprehension of who God is. And um, today, we're praying to the Holy God. And we might be comfortable saying that God is holy. We might even say that word. It's, it's very familiar to us. But what do we think 
that means. What does holy mean? Danya began to unpack that for us in her great uh, kid spot. A.W. Tozer says this, what comes to, into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We all have thoughts about God. We all have assumptions about God. When we think about him and we uh, think about what holiness not, might mean, it really matters what we think. So our ropes will be mended today. And my goal is that we would go away with a deeper sense of God's holiness. Here's a bit of a definition. And as Danya said, this is a deep subject, but to get at some things. In Hebrew, the word holy comes from a word kadosh. Everybody say kadosh. Which comes from a word that means to separate or to divide. Holy means that he is wholly different. Fully different than us. He wholly exists without us. He is distinct from creation. He existed before creation. He is self-existent. He does not need us to exist. He's self-sufficient. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit exist. Just they are and they give us life. Um, God is and that is a part of what holiness means. He is God, and we certainly are not. God's holiness is like a mountain, an unshakable foundation from which all other qualities of his nature flow. His holiness is his completeness and his separateness from us. And it is by his holiness that we are able to recognize what is true. We're able, because of his holiness, we can receive mercy. And because of his holiness, we can receive grace. We can practice faith. We can develop hope. We can live in love, all based on his holiness, that he is God, distinct, separate, and we are not. So we just read the words of Isaiah. And Isaiah is a prophet who began his ministry with this amazing encounter that is saturated with the holy otherness of God. And thankfully, this account is preserved in the scriptures for us. We need it. The scriptures are so helpful for us. I'm going to read back through again. And I want you to be confronted with how different and holy God is. And note Isaiah's response. And we'll unpack some more of that. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord, Isaiah says. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces and with two, they covered their feet and with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. And then I said, it's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's army. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and now your sins are forgiven. And then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. 
Throughout the scriptures, individuals and communities have had tremendous experiences with the one true living God. And always, these true encounters are marked by immediate humility. I believe that these experiences are marked by humility because in those moments, the holiness of God is made manifest. In our space, this world that we can see, we talked about this last week, sinfulness has become normalized. And so it is often only an encounter with the living God that changes our minds, like it changed Isaiah's mind. So Isaiah's encounter is like a template for us. And I'd like for us to notice four things today. Um, We'll go through these one at a time so you don't have to try to fill in all the blanks right away. (laughs) So here's our trail map today. God's holiness guarantees an expanding awareness of reality. God's holiness is the centerpiece of the universe and beyond. God's holiness will reveal what is eternal. And God's holiness reveals the truth of ourselves and our culture. One at a time. First of all, starting with God's holiness guarantees an expanding awareness of reality. His holiness is like a towering mountain peak, constantly growing ever higher and expanding our understanding of reality. Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. He is the one that holds reality for us and in him we discover what is true. That first verse, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. So right there, Isaiah is contextualizing for us where he met uh, God's holiness. King Uzziah was a king and he had died. He had reigned over Judah for over 50 years. He did many good things as is recorded in 2 Chronicles 26. He brought stability and sought to worship God, but he ended up a leper because of his pride. Because of his pride, he ended up a leper. Isaiah notes that Uzziah has died and anyone reading this scroll at the time of of Isaiah would have known that Uzziah's legacy was steeped in pride. In a way, the scriptures immediately placed the reality of the sinful, prideful condition of mankind, humankind, into the story. You and I are in the story. Today, in the very midst of this, you might have a further understanding of God's holiness, and you might recognize, oh my gosh, my life has been one of pride, and the accompanying disease that, is affli- that is accompanies pride, and today God's holiness will make you say, oh, woe is me, I am a human of unclean lips. In this context, which is another story about the prideful stubbornness of mankind, God reveals himself to Isaiah. And like we talked about last week, God's space, remember that? (laughs) We can see God's space is suddenly revealed to Isaiah. And God is on the throne. And God fills the temple with his glory. The second point, God's holiness is the centerpiece of the universe and beyond. It is the anchor of the universe. It is binding us, uh, it's binding us to uh, its immovable truth that you are God and there is no other. We see in verses two and three, attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces and with two, they covered their feet and with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, 
Holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now, seraphim are creatures like, <laughs> um, uh, like angels that we don't know much about. And uh, Danya, in re, uh, reviewing the message this week, she said, uh, don't discard which seems un- that which seems unearthly. Like, okay, this is just made up. Because the scriptures are actually the ones that demythologize us. We think, modern man thinks that we know all that is going on and somehow we need to retell the scriptures what is going on. But the scriptures actually open us up to the reality and demythologize us. (laughs) We do not know all there is to know about the world we can see, let alone God's space. This is a part of our journey towards humility. We trust God's word over our brains and our experiences because God's holiness is the center of the universe, his otherness. So of course we're gonna discover things that are, whoa, so unlike that which we know. And these wild beings, these seraphim, you know, six wings, they're like covering their face and they're, I mean, they're flying around. They are participating with eternal gossip. They're saying to each other, did you notice? They're saying to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the other is, oh yeah, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Oh yeah, holy, holy, holy. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh is the Lord of hosts. The repeated use of the Hebrew is striking. It is written this way so we would not miss the truth. Author and Bible teacher Jackie Hill Perry, who you see on the screen here, she says this about this passage. With all three holies, the seraphim are emphasizing the absolute, unalterable, essential, and total holiness of God. In a book she wrote called Holier Than Thou, and basically how God's holiness sets a foundation, a firm foundation for us. Great book. Challenging book. Um, I had some friends who visited the Eiffel Tower recently in Las Vegas. <laughs> There's a difference, the Eiffel Tower in Las Vegas. I mean, 540 feet, but the real Eiffel Tower is 1,063 feet. One way that I could get out, are we talking about the right Eiffel Tower? I could say, is this the Eiffel Tower, Eiffel Tower? The Eiffel Tower, Eiffel Tower? And repeating it, we have this way of communicating to each other. (laughs) The the Eiffel Tower, Eiffel Tower? And the same way the seraphim are saying, the holy, holy, holy one? (laughs) They are affirming you, the holy one, the, is this the holy, holy, holy. The repeated words are getting at the truth. The holy, holy, holy one. They're ensuring that we know. And the elders we read last week in Revelation saying the same things. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Not the, not the holy, ho- the holy, holy, holy one. Our Father who art in heaven. Holy, holy. Holy is your name, distinct, set apart, so unlike us. 
The third point, briefly, God's holiness will reveal what is eternal. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Today's kings and kingdoms, they feign an eternality. There's something in the way that mankind constructs, whether it's the governments of the world, the economies of the world, that we think this is what will go on and on and on. But in God's space, the seraphim's voice shook the temple, shakes the foundation of what is real. And God's space whoosh, is the ultimate reality and his kingdom will be what remains. Everything else will fall, fade, and fail. The writer of Hebrews expands on this. He references another time when the holiness of God confronted the people. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, and now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe for our God is a devouring fire. He burns up everything that is fiction, false, wrong, unclean, sinful, distorted, perverted. Our God is a consuming fire, a devouring fire. The final point before we let you engage with the conversation, God's holiness reveals the truth of ourselves and our culture. Viewing life from the peak of holiness will reveal the truth of ourselves and our culture. And this is what happened with Isaiah. So he got a glimpse of the holiness of God. I said to myself, it's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among those people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Jackie Hill Perry notes that Isaiah's first response is to recognize his sinfulness. We think at times, my first response would be like, go God, you're awesome. But when confronted, with the otherness of God, the purity of God, the separateness of God, <laughs> that we are derivative from him. He's not a derivative from us. There seems to be something that is profound. Several instances in the scriptures, take off your shoes for this is holy ground. There's a recognition that you are in the presence of one who is unlike you. And Isaiah is immediately aware, I am unholy before this God. I am undone before this God. We can imagine Isaiah suddenly be confronted with every thought, every action, every word, every false motive. It becomes so apparent in the light of God's purity and light. His purity and light are as they are. They are not revocable. God does not accommodate to us by saying, you know what, I'm going to be a little bit more like you guys now. But actually... His standards are just that they are. God cannot be anything other than what he is. Pure, clean, separate, distinct, 
Holy, 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 kadosh, kadosh, kadosh is the Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. He notices, I am a man of unclean lips, which is a way of saying, I I have participated with the lies of this world. I can see that I bought into the lies and I have dialogued with the lies of the world and they have become a part of me. I can see I'm a man of unclean lips. And then he has this recognition and and I'm from a people also. We are interacting with this falseness all the time and it's, it's driving us into a place where we are filthy together. We are broken together. We are hopeless together. This is the exchange of our lives. I am am unclean. I am undone. And I think we would respond in the same manner. Now you get to introduce yourself into the conversation. (laughs) Which I'm really grateful for. We'll set a three minute timer. Invite you to respond if there's, what's the conflict that you feel? What is the spirit disrupting in you? Text your thought with conflict before. Where is there some clarity for you in this passage? What is the spirit confirming? Text your thought with confirming. I will not share who has shared what with me. It will be anonymous. But if you still do not want me to share with you what you write, please start your your text with private. If you want to express to me and um, I can have a follow-up conversation with you over text, that's great. But um, yeah, just let me know that. Okay, you're going you're to have three minutes. Um, text in. Ready? Go.
several more responses coming in right now, so thank you. I'm gonna start by just reading a few conflicts, what the spirit is disrupting, or, and then we'll do some confirming. <clears throat> Conflict, uh, it's a, a question, if the coal passes away the sins of your word and the water washes away the sin you feel, what washes away the sin of your thoughts towards yourself? Wow, it's a great question. Uh, this would be perhaps conflict. We lift up self-awareness as the key to change and growth, but this scripture clearly shows our need for God-awareness. Wow. Oh, to know him in his holiness more each day. Let it be so. Ooh, just recognizing, oh, wow. Thank you for that. Conflict. Our lack of knowledge is extremely overwhelming. Realizing that we haven't been taught who God really is. Hmm. Conflict. I'm confronted again with God's otherness and how far off I am. It's not hard for me to show my care and love for people who live outside of God's plan for their lives, but it is hard to reconcile his holiness with how I relate to them. Wow, yeah, just, ooh. It's certainly not easy to make this all neat and tidy, is it? Yeah. Okay. Conflict, I am unclean. How do I become cleansed as a person if everything and everyone around me is like me and unclean? That's great. Hmm. And they wrote more about needing a clean community but closed off to new relationships because of hurt. So recognizing, oh, yeah, ooh. Conflict, realizing I take God's forgiveness and grace for granted. Oh, yep. Conflict, fire symbolically means cleansing and purifying. It burns, hurts, and reminds me of his power. I am tired of this otherness and hoping the grass is green on the other side, but I should be hoping in purifying grace of reconciliation. Ooh, that's good. I want to read that again. Fire means cleansing and purifying, and it burns and it hurts and reminds me of his power. I'm tired of feeling this otherness, like, okay, purify me now, hoping that the grass is greener on the other side, but what I should be hoping in the purifying grace of reconciliation, and that might be hard for a long time. Okay, some confirming thoughts. Isaiah says, here I am, send me. He admits he's a sinful man, but he has an experience with the Lord and he submits to him. How many of us have had this same experience? It is a beautiful gift our Father's given to us. So even 
as terrible as it might be to be confronted with ourselves. It's a beautiful gift. Thank you. Confirming, it is so wonderful and now clear to me of what holy means. I've always grown up saying in his holy name, knowing that it was what God is. It is truly putting my mind at ease that I now know how his holiness is showing and bringing things that I can't bring, I imagine. Can't bring, got cut off maybe. Confirming, I see how our minds minimize the greatness of God so it's more relatable. So he's more relatable. God is more relatable, but it's incorrect to do so. And they wrote a conflict in here too. It's hard to connect that with Christian talk about Jesus wiping our sins clean. This highlights our need to continuously seek forgiveness for our failures. Yep. Confirming, as I listened to the passage today, it made me think of how our culture believes that they have the answers for how creation happened and they don't want to be questioned. They consider that science has all answers and it's perfect. If this were true, why do medicines have side effects? Interesting. In contrast, we serve a perfect loving God that tells us how we were made, why we are here, and how much he loves us. Wow. A final thought here. There's, there's more. I'm not able to get to all of them. <clears throat> Confirming, I am so grateful that God, the Holy of Holies, came down to save me, that he cares for me, loves me, despite all my pride, sin, and betrayal. I am awestruck. Praise God. We'll get to that a bit more. I, I just want to summarize some of what we're feeling, and you might really relate to some of this, the conflict that we're feeling is being struck by the otherness. Some of us being, a couple of you mentioned it specifically, like this is new for me. I, I realize I haven't been taught. I, I don't recognize that way. As one person said, it's, it's easy to, to make God more like us. I'm seeing that. And that's a, there's conflict there. Like, whoa, there's like, oh, wow, I am unclean. The conflict of recognizing we don't, God is a consuming fire and he seeks to cleanse us and purify us. That would be the truth of that idea. But recognizing that, that it's, it's painful and it's unpleasant and maybe we want to get out of it. But there is something good there. There's conflict with that. And I, I bet many of us would relate to that experience. Confirming, oh, wow, God is Confirming what God is, I'm, I'm learning more about his, whole, his set-apartness. It, it magnifies his grace and forgiveness more and more. Lots of thoughts around that. Confirming, I need to press in and learn more. I need to risk my own autonomy, my own thoughts. Yeah. Well, a great... Um, lead in here, this final person just takes us to the final moment before we receive communion. The question, so for those stuck in sin, what do they do with their continued and repeated sin that could be considered unclean in light of God's holiness? What do we do? 
the final part of the message. Being confronted with God's holiness is not the end of the story. It takes us into a place of recognizing our need, but God, in showing us our need, does not leave us with nothing to do, with no means. How terrible would it be if the story ended at verse 5? Woe is me! I'm a man of unclean lips. My culture is too. The end. (laughs) But it didn't. What happens here is a foretaste of what God has given us in Christ. In verse 6, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal. He had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips and with it, with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Now your guilt is removed, your sins are forgiven. In this account, God descends through the mediation of this seraphim and brings right into his personal space a cleansing atonement and forgiveness. And you can imagine the coal coming, which, I mean, think about a coal coming towards your lips. But if you freshly recognize that your, your, your lips need to be clean, freshly coming into that would be a, a, a moment and experience of hope. And I believe that Jesus is extending to every one of us, and maybe some of us for the first time, that very personal invitation to grace and forgiveness as mediated by his son, Jesus Christ. Extends to you the gift of his son so that you can receive the forgiveness of sins. When God descends to us or condescends to us, he does not make himself less holy, but he's provided a holy and pure pathway for the forgiveness of sins through his son, Jesus Christ. And he holds that before you. He says, take this. Receive. Be clean. And I think one of the things in our moment that we are in, that we have to do, is it's weird to say this, Allow him to be holy. We need to stop trying to rearrange what goodness is. He's in charge of that. Mankind has done a terrible job through the ages of creating sustainable moral structures, creating eternality, things that will last and remain. God's presence and even by his spirit right now is blowing away that shaft and he's saying, as you come to me, I have forgiveness for you, but to you in the 21st century, stop rearranging who I am. Allow your lips to be clean. The conversations that you've had about me, 
be humble. I want to clean you. But in cleaning you, I'm not changing who I am. You see, God created a good world that was meant for human thriving, but humans abandoned his way, went their own way, and the resultant damage continues to proliferate. He's interjected himself into the middle of it as a rescue so that we can enter into his space with purity of heart, forgiveness of sins, 